Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. I was curious about how much of the hands-on process you retain. You know, what part of that do you enjoy other than meeting the people and getting them started? And you know. It's a great question because I'll be honest, I don't enjoy editing books. Yeah. It, it's not my thing. I don't, it, the project management is intense. What my team has to go through to move all the, get all the moving parts going. I don't enjoy that. What I enjoy, I enjoy meeting. I love conferences. I love speaking. I love meeting the right people who become our clients. I love the relationships I develop with my favorite clients where we're texting, we're friends. And I enjoy kind of coming up with new offers and new ways to help. But my, because honestly, the truth of the matter is a company like mine, in order to keep our quality this high, it's really hard to just, okay, do more books. Our quality will go down if we do that. So I really think a lot about expanding my business sideways because a book isn't the only way you build authority. You also build authority through speaking, through going on podcasts, through social media, through all of these things. And so that's what I'm really working on right now is business development in that way. Yeah. And again, the name of your company is Legacy Launch Pad. Yeah. Legacy Launch Pad Publish. Publish. Mm -hmm. And so how, when you were a writer, how's your life different now than with your life as a writer? It's a great question. I would say my life as a writer was kind of sad. I lived in New York. I lived in New York from 2007 to 2010. And those were the years that I was professionally, all I was, was a book writer. And my, my career has had many phases. I was a magazine writer, a journalist from about 2000 to 2007. Then you know, and I was making a decent living and then all those magazines went under and suddenly we went from being paid quite well to write to having to pay to write or not getting paid at all. So those were good years. I was interacting with a lot of people, interviewing a lot of people really in it. When I became a full-time book writer, I was, you know, I was in the studio apartment in New York writing. The way I write is I do three pages a day, but I can't And the rule I have with myself is I can't write my new three pages till I've revised the three pages from the day before. But it wasn't that great. I'm very much a people person. So that sort of isolated existence wasn't really for me. Today, there's no telling what I'm doing. I mean, I just got off a meeting. My first book is being made into a movie, which is amazing. So I just got off a call with the two producers and the director I'm launching a new podcast, so I'm working on that. I'm doing a presentation tomorrow morning, so I'm working on that. So it's all sorts of things. There's a lot of variety now. Now, when you are in New York and you're writing, is the fact that you were a writer before and you were known in the media, did that make it easy for you to get publicity, to get on TV shows, or did you? they give you an insider view of how to get on and I know this producer and I get them to get me on and stuff like that. Does that help? Yes. Such a good question because 
I had such a leg up because I came from the media. So I not only knew the people, but I knew what they needed. And it was a very different time. If I getting on Good Morning America three years ago was the biggest coup, whereas back then I would not think of anything of it. I was going on TV almost every day. I was going on Fox News. I was going on CNN. And I really took it for granted. I mean, if you think I'm a snob now, back then I was like, yeah, whatever. It was, they had people like me on TV a lot more. Today, it's influencers or political experts. They don't have people, they really don't have authors. It's very hard to get on television today. And so, yeah, when my first book came out, I was on the Today Show, I was in Cosmo, I was like in all of these places because they're just, there weren't so many people to know. So I was one of them. And again, I just didn't realize how lucky I was that I had really gotten into media at a really great time. Now, has that, now there's turnover in all of these companies and programs and network. And so probably those contacts are not as strong as they were at one time. No, most of the people are gone. And most of them kind of don't, again, care about me. You know, it's like I had all, I had six contacts at the Today Show. These were good friends, whatever. I reach out now and it's like, actually the Today Show, that's a very good place to work. So those people would stay a very long time. But I think the way, the way, you know, sort of talking head TV stuff works is you go on once they go, she can do it. She doesn't freeze. She's got good sound bites, and they call you all the time. I was in the rotation. I'm not anymore. So, yeah. and so, what did that do for you? You know, you said you took it for granted, but what do the exposures do for you? Where you run into people? I saw you on TV. I didn't know how to utilize it, so it didn't do that much. I mean, I didn't have a business. If I'd had a business that those TV appearances and those books supported, it would have been a whole different game. This was, oh, I saw you on TV. That was cool. And I'm like, okay, yeah, thanks. And that, it really didn't do that much because I just didn't know the value. I didn't know how to use it. Well, I reminded of Louis C.K. He's talking about the first time he got on the Johnny Carson show. And of course, for comedians, that was Nirvana. That was it. That was a top of the mouth. Yeah. And they all talked about it. They obsessed about it. And then when the moment came and you're walking out there, I've arrived, you know, yeah, I made it. And so when you go, but I won the lottery, I won the billion dollar lottery. And so he said, or that's what he thought. <laughs> and then he said, what happened was he went out of that experience glowing and then the next day, he sees his friends. He goes, hey, I was on the Johnny Carson show last night. You know, another comedian. And guy goes, oh, okay, congratulations. Good for you. Yeah, that was great. You know, and like, yeah. <laughs> he said, nobody came rushing out of the crowd saying, hey, you were great on Johnny last <laughs> It's so, I hadn't heard that, but it's so true. It's like, you know, when you're younger, you really believe your life will change overnight. I really thought with my first book, that's it. And then you just wake up the next morning and you're like, oh, and I know there are people, I have known people where their lives truly, you know, actors, where their lives truly changed overnight. But for most of us, it's not like that. Yeah. So you had six books, you know, by the time you were 28. And which one was the, that's what it says here. Yeah. Let's do that math. That sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be arguing with me because I have it in print. And if it's printed, we know it's true. I'm really bad at math. I had at least five. 
Okay. No, 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 no. That I am a liar. No, I didn't have any until my 30s. So I apologize for arguing with you. Okay. Well, I've got it in print, so we'll just I'm, okay, uh, you're covered. I'm the liar. <laughs> but I can't lie to you, Larry. I can't. So the truth is, it was my 30s when I wrote all those books. Really? And yeah. so which one in the series was the bestseller? It is a book that I wrote for someone else. We were co-authors on it. And it's called By Some Miracle, I Made It Out of There Alive. And I wrote it with an actor named Tom Sizemore who passed last year. But my first book, which is the best book I wrote, is called Party Girl. That got all the media attention. That is the film bidding rights. But the reality is it didn't sell particularly well. It was not the New York Times bestseller. No. Because oh, media attention does not sell books. Isn't that interesting? Media attention does not sell books. If you're on Terry Gross, that's different. But for everything else, no. And so what sells books? This is the thing. I've been, I've been telling people that I'm, I'm negotiating marry one of the Kardashians. I don't know which one's on the market, but... It seems like that could be a big career boost, you know, like yes. if you could do a move like that. But uh, unless you can like start dating Taylor Swift or I guess Britney Spears is on the market now. But uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, everybody. But <laughs> in terms of, you know, go out there and, and marry someone or make friends with someone sensational and be seen. I'm with Justin Bieber now. Yeah. Then and I've got a book. Hey, that helps a lot. But I'll tell you, there was an article in the New York Times. It was about three or four years ago about how Justin Timberlake and Billie Eilish got huge book deals because they had, you know, millions and millions of Instagram followers, but their books didn't sell well. And the reason is if you have a ton of followers, but your audience doesn't think of you as an author or they don't read books, that doesn't even matter. My personal theory about books, the way books work is there's no democracy for authors. There's the bulk of us, and then there's the Glennon Doyle and J.K. Rowling and these people where they just sell like crazy. Most of the population does not read books. So if you want, if you're going to have a book that's going to go absolutely crazy, you have to write a book that non-readers are going to feel stupid at a party that they haven't read. So we're talking about Fifty Shades of Grey to whatever it is. It is all word of mouth and it is all crazy. You have to, it's lottery ticket kind of thing to have a runaway bestseller. Oh. And so unless you're born into the royal family and marry a uh, Hollywood actress, I guess. Yeah, or you get lucky. You just like Lennon Doyle was nobody. And then, you know, she wrote this book, Untamed, that just you can't throw a rock without meeting someone who just thinks it's the greatest thing they've ever read. Yeah. Well, did you get disillusioned with the publishing world uh, in terms from a writer's standpoint? When it became obvious you weren't going to be the next. Lennon Doyle, yeah. You ask the best questions because these are the things that nobody asks that is 100%. That's what I do. That's what you do. You knew. You knew. I got so disillusioned that I thought I hated writing because it just killed my soul, those six books. Because every time I thought, well, it's going to be different. Because the publishers will always tell you, oh, this is going to be the one. And it was never different. And even that New York Times bestseller, 
best-selling book. Unfortunately, the person I wrote it with was crazy. And I know it's disrespectful because he's passed now, but it was a very unpleasant experience. And so even that one, I was still broke, even though it was a New York Times bestseller. Oh, yeah. That's a heck of a thing to go through, isn't it? Thanks for listening to The Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.